morning. It's really a great privilege to be here this morning and a blessing to uh, be able to teach at BC uh, since Amanda and I moved back uh, to Hannibal from Louisville. Um, we have grown significantly in this community and seen it change lives and the Lord work powerfully through this community. So it, uh, it's incredibly humbling that the elders would uh, allow me to teach. Uh, but to be honest, when I first got approached to teach, my first thought was, well, what psalm am I going to be able to teach? I looked through the podcasts and realized that all the good psalms had already been taken, Psalm 51, Psalm 42, Psalm 19, Psalm 1, and I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, I don't know what I'm going to say, and Amen and I were studying uh, through psalms together, and uh, Psalm 13 um, just stuck out. Um, the Lord stirred my heart, and uh, I quickly realized what a gem this psalm is. And this morning we're going to see a prayer from David that is incredibly heart-wrenching. We're going to see him struggle through despair and depression, and we're going to see him come to the ultimate truth that God is faithful and his promises are secure for our lives in all situations. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 13, should be up on the screen. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good father. We thank you that your word it's powerful. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your covenants and your promises. Father, I ask you to please uh, stir our hearts this morning and our affections towards you, and that the gospel would be more true for us in this moment than it was the moment before. Father, just speak powerfully through your word. It's your name I pray. Amen. So this morning, whether you come in... Um, and you're just in the midst of joy in your life, and the Lord is moving powerfully in your life, and you're finding nothing but happiness, or you're in the midst of despair and depression, and you're struggling, and believing the truth of the word is hard. I hope that through reading through Psalm 13 and looking at some of the grand narrative of Scripture and the promises given to David, that the gospel has more flesh that when we practice preaching the gospel among one another and to ourselves, that the promises given to David will become a truth in your life. When uh, you read this psalm, it breaks up into three pretty natural parts. Verses 1 and 2 are David's questioning of the Lord. Verses 3 and 4 are his pleas before the Lord. And verses 5 and 6 are David's uh, proclamation of the truth of everything that he had been praying for. Now, uh, one of the more difficult parts about this psalm was 
there's virtually no context to this psalm. They don't know the enemy that is spoken of many times in this psalm. They don't know when this psalm was written or why this psalm was written. So specific context is pretty difficult. But the more I struggle through this psalm, I think that's a blessing. Because as we read this, and as I've read this many times in the last couple of weeks, this became a prayer of mine. We're able to insert our own personal struggles within this psalm because we don't necessarily have a specific David struggling against Goliath situation going on here. But to give a little bit more broader context, uh, we're going to look at the promise that God made to David in his covenant. So if you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 8. Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all the enemies from before you. I will make you, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in our own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offsprings after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So this uh, this covenant was given to David. Uh, when David had approached Nathan, uh, saying, I want to build a house for the Father. All the other nations have a temple for their God. I want to build it for our God. And Nathan initially was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then the Lord spoke to Nathan and made this promise to David. And there's a lot of promises here that are obviously a sermon and a message on themselves. Uh, God promises to David that he's going to give him a kingdom that's everlasting, going to give him a, a, a house, uh, make him a house. Uh, but the promise I want us to look at is in verse 11. Because in verse 11, it says that he will not allow any enemy to defeat him. So why is that important to Psalm 13? Because God had made a promise to David that he wouldn't allow an enemy to enemy to defeat him and wasn't going to allow him to die at the hands of an enemy. But David's ultimate struggle in this psalm is that an enemy will defeat him. I believe that David's biggest issue is unbelief in the promises and goodness of God. That is where he's at. That is the reason he's in despair. That's the reason he's in uh, a state of depression because he doesn't believe that God is faithful. He doesn't believe that God is good. 
even though God had made a promise and looking out, looking back even from David's standpoint, God had never faltered in his faithfulness. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them a law. He gave them a people. So with that in mind, let's jump in verse 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So we've already established the fact that we don't know who this enemy is. and We don't know why David is feeling this way. But what we can see is that this isn't like many other Psalms and places in Scripture to where there is a confession of sin and a repentance and a redemption that is taking place. With that, we can infer that whatever circumstance David finds himself in isn't because of sin, which makes that even more difficult. It's easy to look at our lives when we are in despair and struggle and say, I know why this is happening. This is discipline. I have sinned. I have fallen. And this is the natural consequences of that. It is much harder when we look and we don't know why. It's easy to look at these first uh, four verses specifically and think that David is uh, expressing no amount of trust or hope. I believe in the midst of his questioning, that in of itself is showing that he truly does trust the Lord. Can you imagine going before a sovereign and saying these things without having some shred of hope and trust that that God is actually good in the midst of you saying that he's not? And the language here is much stronger than him just saying, God, you've turned your face from me. You've left me alone. Um, in the midst of my study, I found that what David is actually accusing God of is neglect. He's saying that you have not just abandoned me, but you have purposely abandoned me. Those are fairly strong words to, to say to God. He continues to go on and he says, how long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow all the day long? Um, reminds me very much of Psalm 42 with how long, O Lord, naturally. But this is a, a man who his days are completely composed at this moment of nothing but despair and focusing on his circumstance. As I read that, it was really interesting that he takes counsel in his own soul all that day long. Um, if any of you have struggled with despair and depression, that, that's actually a very natural thing to say. Um, David, in the midst of feeling isolated from God, has further isolated himself from those whom could speak the good news to him and from the Father. Um, it's one of the things that, um, as I read and prayed through this, that I began to be thankful for while being at BC. Because as much as when I go through situations, maybe not this extreme, but similar, um, the people here 
don't allow me to stay like this. Um, we have grace that's given to us through this community. Um, Wednesday nights, um, we meet, our missional community meets for a time of confession and prayer and just speaking the gospel in my life. And um, I rejoiced while reading this verse that men like Deanna and Reed and Ryan and Donald and Austin don't let me sit in this because they are able to say when I think God is not good, when I'm in a place when I don't believe his promises because it does happen, that they say, this is the truth. This is how God is faithful to you. This is how God is faithful to his word, and he's unwavering, and he is unchanging. But David didn't have that at this moment that we know of. Uh, it was kind of a silly thought, but my, I wondered where Nathan was at this moment. Uh, the man who gave David the covenant of the Lord, the man who called him out with his sin with Bathsheba, where was he to remind David of the promises of the Lord? And then he ends this first stanza with, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is going to become the main thrust in the next portion, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. So we're going to go ahead and move on to David's plea before the Lord. So verses 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So David in his prayer is requesting two primary things. He's requesting the presence of God in his life. And he's requesting that the Lord would be faithful in not allowing the enemy to overcome him. Which even from verses 1 and 2 to verses 3 and 4 show a pretty extreme shift of heart here. And I believe that that's God beginning to work on David because of his honest cries before him. And ultimately because God is a faithful God and true to the promises that he gave to David. So David begins by just saying, God, please let me feel your presence again. Then he uses a really odd phrase of light up my eyes and let me not sleep the sleep of death. David has a really great understanding of the God, God the Father's role in the sustaining power in our life. What David is proclaiming here is he's and asking is, Father, please enter yourself into my life because I cannot live without your presence. I cannot do anything without you. I am in the midst of despair because I don't have you. I wonder how often I truly live like that. When I look at my life, I see um, that a large portion of the time, I believe that I am my own God, that I am the one who sustains myself, that I'm the one who provides for my family, that I'm the one who myself healthy, that I'm the one who does everything. What we see here is an understanding by David 
that is not possible for any of that to happen without the presence of the Lord and his power being in our life. What he's asking for with the phrase, light up my, my eyes, is encouragement. It's not just the presence, but give me your presence and give me your encouragement. Let the promises that you've given me change my thoughts, change my beliefs of the circumstances that I find myself in. I believe this is also another uh, reference to a promise that was given not specifically to David, but to the people of Israel by Moses. In Numbers 6, uh, starting in verse 22, which should be up on the slide, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I believe by this phrase and uh, this plea from David, he is invoking this blessing upon himself. He's saying, Lord, you have promised me that your presence would not depart from me. You have promised me this, and I want that promise to be true. Uh, several months ago, when uh, Daniel Miller was preaching, he used a phrase that I find myself using a lot and praying for a lot now, and that is uh, grace-enabled faith. Verse 1 and 2 show that David has unbelief. David isn't believing the promises of the Lord. So he responds in verse three by saying, Father, I don't have the strength to believe what you have promised me, but you have the strength to give me the belief to believe what you promised me. And in our lives, um, we're obviously incredibly different than David because we have seen the promises that David gave to God come to fruition by the cross and by the inauguration of the kingdom. We have seen it through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have the promise that he will begin, he will finish the good work that he has began. And that separates us from David. Because whereas David feels in isolation most of this psalm, at times we probably do feel isolated, but that is a lie because the presence of the Holy Spirit cannot and will not depart from us. His next, his next plea is a plea that uh, he would not, that the Lord, the Lord would not let the enemy to prevail over him. Now, why is David asking for this? I think that there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, he's scared that his kingship would be lost, which is natural. He's scared uh, that in the midst of him losing his kingship, that he would die. But something that I found in, uh, is that I think David is invoking the glory of the Lord into this. Um, because within this context and with this culture, the kings would be representative of the gods in which they served. So David is saying, for your name's sake, don't allow me to be defeated. 
Don't allow my lack of faith, don't allow my situation to bring any type of shame upon who you are. And for that sake, bring me salvation. He's also worried that um, he he's ultimately going to lose faith. He doesn't want the fact that his enemies could prevail to shake his faith. Uh, he uses the word shaken. Um, this is another term that I'm going to throw out because I heard Dan use it a couple of sermons ago, and I think it's incredibly applicable for this. Um, and something else I've been praying for is... I believe David is expressing hope and future grace and praying that God would give him the hope and the strength to trust in future grace. He doesn't want to be shaken. He doesn't want his faith to be broken, but he knows that he doesn't have the strength in order for that to happen. So he's asking God, and not the the far future save me, not just because you've done it in the past save me, but in the coming seconds, allow me to believe the promises that you've clearly given to me. Allow this not to just be a theoretical thing that I can trust in, but allow this to be something in which I trust second by second and minute by minute, which extremely changes the way in which I respond to every circumstance. I was writing uh, through my sermon manuscript on Monday, and uh, I was watching a replay of uh, West Ham United. It was their last game of the year, and uh, I'd actually got a score update on Sunday seeing that they had won 3-1. to one. So I knew I was watching a good game. But in the midst of watching the game and knowing the outcome of that game, I questioned whether that was ever going to happen. Because they passed very poorly, their shots were off, they played horrible defense. And even though I knew the outcome, there were times in which I got nervous watching a game in which I knew the ending too. I think that's kind of how... Trusting in future grace works. We know because that God is going to be faithful to his promise because he's already defeated the enemy. Because he's already defeated death with the cross. He's already began the kingdom that we get to partake in. We know the score's already finalized. But in the midst of life, we forget that we can trust the one who finished the score. What's amazing is when he moves to verse 5 and 6 that we see that God has been faithful to his promise within this passage that in the midst of one verse, David goes from unbelief to belief. And I think a lot of that has to do with David's not trying to work really hard to have faith. David isn't trying to please the Lord with his actions to earn favor. David is asking humbly 
for the father to work in his life and the father is faithful to do what he has promised to do. In verse five, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast, steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. God gave him the strength to trust. David is no longer overwhelmed by his troubles, but in his depression, he says, but I trust. Because we don't know why David is saying this, we can't say, well, God did this specifically to fix the situation. We don't know if the situation in which took David to depression was ever resolved. We assume it was. But we don't know that. We just know that the Lord changed David's heart in his response to that situation. David is able to look and say the Father is good and the Father is faithful. Instead of seeing David saying, I have sorrow in my heart all the day long, he's now proclaiming that he shall rejoice in the salvation that the Father has provided. I love verse 6 because it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. If you notice, it doesn't say, I am singing to the Lord or I have sung to the Lord. It's saying, I will sing to the Lord. He's saying, because you have given me salvation, because of who you are, I will sing. And not just because you have delivered me, not because you've just given me what I've asked for, but because you have dealt bountifully with me. You have given me far more than I could have ever even asked for or prayed for. It's much, uh, it's very similar to Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus makes the comparison in the Sermon on the Mount to if an evil man can give good gifts, how much more can a good holy God give good gifts? We have a God who doesn't desire us to just be present in this world and to just have our life sustained. We have a God who has a desire for us to live a life that is thriving in his kingdom, to be excellent in everything that we do, and to give good gifts to accomplish that because of his goodness and for his glory. So obviously we see that God is faithful to David. We see that in the midst of six verses, David accusing the father of neglect to saying, I'm going to sing because you've given me far more than I've asked for. So how does that affect us? Well, I hope that in the midst of this, we see the gospel present. And the gospel is the changing factor for everything. But there are many things that separate us from David. Like I said, we we get to look back on the promises of the Lord while David had to look forward to them. We have the advantage of seeing the promises of the Lord complete, at least the cross. Now, obviously, we are still looking forward to the complete inauguration of the kingdom and to see the final stamp on the enemy. 
and to see his people completely made right with him. We get to live in a community in which is defined by him and sealed by his Holy Spirit. And because of that, that is why at BC we are able to speak the truth of the gospel to each other in all circumstances and have such good friendships in faith because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see that we have been made right with the Father in the way in which I don't think David would have experienced until Jesus. We get to be able to say to ourselves in the midst of despair, in the midst of depression, or in the good times, I'm accepted wholly because of what Jesus has done. And because of the faithfulness of God to his promises in 2 Samuel 7, in Genesis 49. We get to become, well, we are new creations, and we get to partake in God recreating this world through his kingdom. Because God is faithful to his covenant and to his promises, we can have hope in all circumstances and in all times of despair. I want us to uh, close with just one last verse. And it is a promise that um, I've been trying to remind myself of constantly. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And it is something that I think we should remind ourselves of constantly. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a a God who is faithful. We thank you that you have made us right with yourself. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished, and we just seek to love and praise you and bring you glory with all that we do. It's your name that we pray. Amen.